community is the same way. The moment you have an idea and you get someone else involved, maybe it's an employee or an early adopter or a customer or an advisor or an investor, you now have a community. Whether or not you care about that community and you're thoughtful about it and you try to make it better and more healthy is up to you. Hey, all welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. It's Ryan Williams. Each episode of this podcast, I interview a entrepreneur, best-selling author, or business leader launching the next big thing in media. David Spinks is my guest for episode 117. We talk a lot about how to build communities because I get a lot of questions from people. Do I build my product and then grow a community? Or do I grow a community and then build a product? Uh, you'll have to listen to the end of this to figure out what David's answer is, which I'm sure you can imagine him being a community expert. And I want to remind everyone to go to InfluencerEconomy.com. That's my website. I have 100 plus free podcast episodes there with authors like Seth Godin, Brad Feld, Nir Ale, David Nihill. It's all about a business toolkit to help you succeed in the new economy. And also I'll be giving away a free guidebook for how to tell your badass stories. I want to help you tell stories like a badass to assert your authority, your emotion, and you're fixing problems for others. So go to InfluencerEconomy.com for all these goodies, informations, and more podcast episodes. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy, the Rhino Lab. I'm here with David Spinks. Uh, David is uh, the head of the CMX Expo. He's a startup entrepreneur in San Francisco. He started three companies. He's mentored over 100 startup entrepreneurs. And he is at the forefront of how to build a community that's thriving in the modern economy. And we're really excited to have you here because you're all about the business psychology of how to build communities really around things people love and finding that core mission that really brings your community in. Is there anything else I'm missing? Nope, that's pretty good. Uh, yes, yeah, CMX Summit is the conference. Uh, we run that once a year, bring together all of the world's community professionals and businesses that are focused on community. And we're basically just working to organize and equip the world's community professionals with the uh, tools and resources they need to be successful. What are a couple? What are three core elements that every single community needs? Yeah, so um, the really simple way to explain this is uh, we can use a model that we developed called the community engagement cycle. Um, and so it basically has four steps. And if you look at these four steps, you can think about communities that you've been a part of or think about your customers and the business you're building and think about how you can kind of create this sense of community. So um, the four steps are one is identity. So you have to identify the people who are going to be a part of this community. There's a shared identity amongst a group of people. Um, and if people have a common identity, but they feel isolated from each other, for example, when we started CMX, there were lots of people who identified as community professionals, but they, were, they felt very alone and isolated. They weren't talking to each other. So that was a golden opportunity to build community. Um, if you can find that group with that shared identity and bring them together, then you know that's when you have a good opportunity when they feel isolated. Two is trust. So they have to trust that if they participate, they're going to get value out of the community. If your business is brand new, then people don't trust that they're going to get value out of it yet because they don't know it. The brand doesn't exist. The brand doesn't have any equity yet. And so you want to create that trust either one-on-one -on -one by creating 
uh, intimate experiences, talking to people, or um, you can create uh, group kind of activities like dinners, small intimate things to develop that trust until your community and your brand develops that equity and then they trust that. So you're saying sometimes um, you can start small? With the you group. always start small, always. Yeah. Every major platform that you know today, whether it's Facebook or Google or uh, Twitter or Instagram, all these massive social networks, massive social communities, Reddit, they all started very, very small and very, very intimate. Okay. I, I want to pause and come back to this, but keep going with the framework, please. Yeah. Um, so third is participation. So, okay, you, you identify a group of people. They have a shared identity. They trust that if they participate, they're going to get value. So now they participate. And what you want to do here is create shared experiences. These are experiences that either people are sharing in the moment together or they're consistent so that if I were to run into someone else on the street and they also went to a similar kind of event run by us, they can relate on that level. They can connect on that level. They feel like they've been through something shared. And you see that in every major community, whether it's military and, and the way you have to train to get into military or fraternities and sororities and the way you have to pledge to get in there, schools and having to apply there and having orientation, all these shared experiences create the sense of belonging. And then finally, there's the reward. So just like in habit psychology or, or um, you know, developing addictive products, that reward is what tells your brain that this was a good experience and I want to experience it again. And so, um, okay, now I've identified with this group. I trusted that I would get value out of participation. I participated, got value out of it. Maybe it's I met other people. Um, it could be extrinsic, like I got rewards for it, or it could be intrinsic. I, I felt a sense of belonging and a sense of camaraderie and connection and shared identity that reinforces a cycle. So now my identity as a member of this community increases. I now trust it in a greater way, and I want to participate in greater and greater ways over time in order to get higher and higher rewards. And then people go through that cycle and over and over again until they become an engaged member of the community. And so, so let's say you know people listening, they've, they've identified the community, right? So maybe it's a type of entrepreneur that they want to galvanize or people at a club because they love comic books, right, or something – something like uh, an advocacy group for a cause they believe in. Mm -hmm. So once you identify those folks, I'd love to get into more of the transition of the identi identified and the identity that you share into that next step. Because I also think that's really when things start to snowball. Do, do you agree? Um, sometimes. I mean, some communities can take a really long time until they like kind of uptick and they really start to grow. Other ones seem to kind of take off really quickly. Um, but even the ones that take off quickly, for the most part, there was probably a foundation of trust that was built over time, right? Like um, when Kevin Systrom launched Instagram, he already had a group of people that he knew would be interested in these kinds of products that he developed trust with over his career. And so he was able to use that as a foundation for community. For CMX, I've been in this industry for you know, six years before I started CMX. I built up a network. I've been writing about this stuff. I've built up trust. So when I launched our conference, it wasn't starting from scratch. And so, um, yeah, if you're starting out and you don't already have a foundation of trust with the identity, with a group of people that you're hoping to bring together, 
then absolutely your first priority needs to be to start building that foundation. The good news is it's not that hard. All you have to do is give a shit. <laughs> Just care about people. Um, and what I usually recommend is start by getting on the phone with 10 people. Email them and say, hey, I'd, I'm, I'm, I have this idea for a community. I'd really like to uh, bring these people together because I think it would help us support each other and really connect. And it would be really fun and valuable and a good time. And so I'd love to talk to you about like, you know, what you would like to see in that. And so you get them involved in the process early on. You collect their feedback on what they would like to see in the community, what, what kind of expectations they have, what kind of events you should throw, what kind of online tools you should use, whatever it is. Because now that they're giving you their feedback, that makes them feel like their voice and their opinion was taken into account and they'll feel more committed to the success of that community so that when you come back two weeks later and you say, hey Mike, uh, thanks so much for giving me your time and feedback and like being supportive of this community. Good news, I talked to 10 people and everyone's really excited about this. So we're gonna start it with just a dinner, really intimate dinner for just 10 people. Um, and we're gonna keep it really exclusive and just get everyone together. Would you be open to joining? They're like, of course, um, that sounds amazing. And then now you have 10 people, you bring them together, they have a good experience, they get to know each other, they have that shared experience, they got to meet people they otherwise wouldn't have met, and then you build on that. Now you can add more people, ask them to bring a friend next time, and it just grows from there. What really resonates there is the whole, the trust that you build by collecting the feedback and giving yeah. people what I call emotional ownership over the idea. Because you're more likely to spread something you care about based on the emotional attachment you have to it because you've spent time, you know, you've actually cultivated something that you're proud of. It's like a Kickstarter project or an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. If I give you 50 bucks to make a video game and I'm getting a bunch of perks and rewards, you know, back in return, like I always recommend anyone who hasn't supported a crowdfunding campaign to do it because the psychological hooks are that if I buy this thing and I want to spread it because I want you to succeed. And I ultimately want that reward at the end of the game when, or the end of the campaign when the game is built. And so for the trust part, I love that it's all about like the collaboration element of collecting that feedback and really finding out what people's problems are and helping solve them. Yeah, a good example of this, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, or your, your audience is probably familiar with Product Hunt. Um, if you're not, it's just a platform where people share new products that come out and they can comment and review on it. But it didn't start out as product hunt. It started out as brunches that Ryan Hoover, the founder, was hosting on a regular basis. And actually before that, it was just a place where people were writing together in a thing called Startup Edition. And so he just built up this community of people who were passionate about products over months. And then ultimately, when he had the idea for product hunt, it's almost like there, there's a there's a flip to the way you can think about business. Um, the way we think about it today is a little bit flawed. We think, hey, let's build this product or build this business and then let's build a community around that. That's not really the best way to think about it, in my opinion. I think it's really, there's this community of people with a shared identity who have a common problem. What tools can we build for those people to bring them value? Or first, just how do we bring them value at all? And then as we learn more about them and as we build trust in a relationship amongst this group, how do we start to build tools, technology, software, whatever it is you're offering in order to serve that community? I love that. I mean, I'm 100% in, in agreement with it. 
how you stated that much more eloquently than I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, the ultimate end game is that communities are so powerful that if you, I feel like in the present day, if you don't have that identifiable community that you have joined or you've started, then your business won't go anywhere. And a lot of people think, like I've, I work with authors to help them launch their books, and they think that, hey, they can just announce a book and then three months later they'll publish it and it'll be a bestseller, or it will trend on Amazon. And I say, no, you should have started building a community two years ago because it's never too early to build a community around something bigger that you want to take part of. And it's smaller steps. Like you're saying with Product Hunt, it's brunches, it's an email list, it's a website. It's a place for people to get together to build that base. And ultimately, that's where amazing things happen. Yeah, so two quick thoughts there. One is, um, one thing I always say is like, um, you can look at community like a brand. Um, Every business has a brand, whether or not they choose to invest in it. Right, so if I start a business, I instantly have a brand. But if I don't really get thoughtful about what's the message we're trying to convey, what are our values, what what colors do we use, what does our logo look like, then it may not be a very quality or thoughtful brand, but we still have one. Community is the same way. The moment you have an idea and you get someone else involved, maybe it's an employee or an early adopter or a customer or an advisor or an investor, you now have a community. Whether or not you care about that community and you're thoughtful about it and you try to make it better and more healthy is up to you. Can you build a successful business without a really great brand? Yeah, some businesses are able to. Like, you know, some, I don't know, steel manufacturers don't really give a shit about their brand. They're providing a really basic service. And and can you build a really successful business without investing in your community? Yeah, I would say you can. Like, I don't know, Uber seems to do a pretty good job without seeming to give any shits about their community. So, um, you know, it's it's not like you have to do this. And, you know, when we do work with businesses, if I come in and, and I feel like I'm trying to convince you that community is important, we're probably not going to be able to work very well together. It's something that you have to believe that by investing in our people, in our community, we're building something more valuable. And then what we do is then work with businesses to help them figure out where that tangible value will show itself in terms of ROI and revenue because it should have actual impact on the dollars. At the end of the day, if your business isn't profitable, then you can't serve that community. You can't solve those problems. You can't achieve your mission. So it has to be financially sound. But if your foundation is let's build a community in order to serve our product, I think that's not the right way. It's, it's how do we build a community and then build products that serve that community. And then it's, there's an evolution. Yeah, there, there are five areas that we, we, we can look at um, where community has business value. Uh, we use, it's called the space model, so you can remember space. Um, and uh, so it's support, so that's when your customers are answering questions for each other. We all know support forums. If you try to get help from Apple, you're going to end up at a support forum. Uh, two is product. So that's what you just described, where people are giving you feedback and helping give you ideas that fuel innovation for your product. Um, for example, uh, uh, Starbucks has a massive online community where people are sharing ideas and feedback on ways to improve the store experience. And we see that in countless different software businesses now. Um, acquisition is the third one. That's where you're focused on growth and getting new customers to join. Um, 
and you see those in Lululemon's ambassador program or the Skims referral program, right? Their programs focus on helping you grow. The fourth one is content. Wait, That's what's where the, you're. What, what's the Skims uh, program to help people grow? They call it Skimbassadors. So it's like they're loyal um, subscribers, refer other people, and that drives less that I heard from them was about 18% of their total list growth come from their skim ambassadors, which I would argue um, is an interesting kind of like ambassador collaboration program. They, they have a lot of room for improvement in terms of how they build community and a sense of community within that, but it's working. Do they pay people to drive subscribers? No. Volunteer. Okay. Fully volunteer driven. I think they have like perks and things like that. Okay. Most ambassador programs will have some sort of perk structure. Um, or you see like the Yelp elite was like the original power user program and they're both ambassadors as well as like driving content. And so content is that fourth one. Um, that's where your community members are contributing the content that makes up the actual product. So anything that's open source is a content driven commu community, uh, platform. Um, uh, Duolingo is a good example where they have over 70 courses now. All of them are developed by their community. Um, so anywhere where the community is creating the actual content that makes up the product, Yelp, social networks, marketplaces, they're all content-driven communities. And then the last one is engagement, and that's where you're building a community around this kind of general interest that your product is serving. So Sephora has uh, beauty talk forums where anyone can come and talk about beauty and makeup and uh, beauty products. Uh, Nike has their run club program where people just come together for runs. Is it about their product? No, but obviously people who are there are going to be connected to the product in some way. And, and that fuels a lot of loyalty and retention. Actually, uh, uh, Sephora found that members on that community spent two times more than regular customers and their power users on that community spent 10 times more than regular customers. So um, all of these things drive very specific business value. Let's talk about the power user because that's a great yeah. way to think about like the ambassadors, the early people. Like, is there a difference between power users and ambassadors or would you say that they're similar? And can you, or can you define those two actually? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I've never been asked that question. <laughs> uh, so ambassadors, the hard hitting questions here. Yeah. This is brutal stuff, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, and also I think an important distinction is between early adopter and power user, which I think are used interchangeably a lot. So, um, a power user is essentially just somebody who uses your product a lot. Um, an ambassador is somebody who likes to talk about your product a lot. Those two things aren't necessarily the same. They might be, there's a good chance that people who use the product a lot are also really passionate ambassadors, but sometimes you know, I'm, I'm an ambassador for some products that like I use, I wouldn't call myself a power user, but I really love it and I want other people to know about it. Um, and then early adopters are neither of the two necessarily. They're just the first people to get on board. They're the ones who are willing to be a little bit more risky in where they spend their time and what kind of products they attach themselves to. And, and so they'll join in early. Do they be a lot of the time the early adopters don't become the power users because the reasons that you join on day one are very different from the reasons that you come back multiple times a day on um, year two, right? Um, and often case 
the early adopters of a community and a product are not going to be there once the community reaches a stage of maturity because it's a very different dynamic. The reasons that early adopters come to something are very different from the reasons that people stay at something. So how do you um, find your ambassadors if you're, you have this early adopter base of people that just adopted the product, they're making it better with you, they join the community, and then you want to f- sort of s- s- sift up you know, the, the top uh, ambassadors to help you know, share it with their friends, and how do you galvanize them, and how do you surface those folks? Ambassadors won't really surface, and that won't really work until you have something worth being an ambassador for. So um, you can you can kind of hack and like just by being like I said in the beginning, the only thing you really have to do to get people to give a shit about your product is you have to give a shit about them. <laughs> and if like you really say you're building a product for accountants and and you found an accountant and you just spent 10 minutes saying like, hey, my passion is to help accountants. I see this huge problem in your space that you know isn't being solved. Actually, I'm an accountant too, and I've been through this myself. And so I'm dedicating you know however much of my life now and resources and time to solving this problem. And all I'm asking of you is like, do you have any feedback? <laughs> right. Do you have any ideas? Like that's really hard to say no to. Right. And like when you show that you genuinely give a shit about people and about solving a problem, they're gonna respond with giving a shit back. Most people will. Some people maybe still won't care, but most people when they feel that they're you know, someone's really putting their energy into you and into that problem, they will return that. Now, an ambassador is if you're like, hey, I'm doing all this stuff, would you mind telling three people to sign up for this product? That's a lot harder to do if that person doesn't already trust you, hasn't already used the product, hasn't already, you know, if they don't already love the product and found it, they didn't find it useful yet. It's going to be really hard to get them to be an ambassador. So you can get them to be an early adopter. You might even get them to be a user early on. Um, but getting people to be ambassadors, I think, will be really hard to do until you have something worth being an ambassador for. And then the super users, they, you can just tell that they're there because they're active and they're coming back two, three times a day to your website or coming to all your events. Yeah, I mean, that's, as, as um, communities develop, you'll find that um, there's this thing called the 99-1 rule, which isn't really a rule, but it was like based on a study of some really large communities. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I always tell people it's not a rule. It's more of one, it's a theory. Two, it's um, uh, more about the message, which is there's a very small percentage of your member base that is going to create a very large percentage of the content. Um, another thing is the 80-20 rule. Again, Ex- not a rule. You, ex- you might explain the 99-1 rule for people that don't know. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's sorry. Um, I breezed over it. Um, one, it says basically that um, 90% of your community will just be passively consuming, 9% will be responding, and and uh, 1% will be creating. So um, basically 1% is creating all the content or most of the content, 9% is somewhat active and responding, 90% are just listening, or there's this other rule that says like 80-20, again, these are not rules, they're theories, but 80-20, 20% of your users will create 80% of your content which is an interesting one. So can you explain a little bit more about like how people can approach the community to really take it to that level? 
So how do you get people to engage are and there, participate? Are there incentives you can create or is it just really giving a shit and building something together with people? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is giving a shit. Um, I'm a, there's a lot of like the soft skills that come into play here where it's, you know, somebody who's really good at engaging and interacting with people and other people are less comfortable with that and it's going to be harder. Um, I think the energy you put in is the energy that other people will put in. And so if it's, it's a lot about setting the example and that's why it's so important to choose the right first people for the community because you need to set the example. And then the first 10 people you bring into the community, the content they create, the way they act, their tone, their voice, uh, those are the people that are that, that new members are going to follow and replicate. Um, in the early days, I'll even facilitate a lot more um, to just make conversations happen, like basically force them to happen. So if I were to launch a new Facebook group today, I would choose 10 people that I knew were really um, a good fit for this potential community. I'll go through talking to them on the phone, emailing them, really putting a lot of time to develop that um, trust with them. Maybe they trust me already, but I want them to trust the idea as well. So get them really bought in, maybe even do a small event or a dinner or something to bring people together and speak a little bit about what the idea and the concept there. And then I'd bring them together and say, great, we're ready to like bring everyone online. Let's get in this group. I just invited you. Would you mind starting it up, us off by just posting one question? Here's 10 topics that are might inspire an idea. I just post one question and then and then just look for one of the questions on there and post a response. And, and if not, say it was still silent, no one did it, I would email someone personally. And I would say, hey, Dan, I, uh, I'd love to just like set the example and get the ball rolling in this community. Would you mind posting a question? I even wrote up an example for you if you want to just use that so one. It's so you important can. to get other people so you're just not the one leading from the top down. Yeah, exactly. You want to have other people posting, other people commenting and responding. So say Dan posted that question. I would then email three other people and say like, hey, Dan just posted this question. Uh, I know you're an expert in this area. Would you mind hopping in there and just like posting an answer? And because it's so personal and high touch, they're going to post a really good answer, like take their time and write it well. And that, that becomes the example. So in the early days, you can really facilitate it. And some companies take it to a ridiculous level where like Reddit just made up a lot of fake users and pretended um, that it was really active. It's called like astroturfing. Um, I don't really recommend that because I don't think that's a great way to build trust. But the idea is you want to set the example for how to use a community and you want to show that there's energy and people here and people are excited to be here and it's a good thing. I actually, it reminds me of a funny story. I had my, started my podcast as episode three, very small audience, and I had this well-known YouTube personality on, and she uh, has a massive following on Twitter. It's like you know three years ago, and so I emailed all my friends to tweet the episode out, and I was like, hey, you know, obviously you're my my buddies. Can you tweet this out? Here's a sample copy, and my friends. Obviously, we're excited to ha you know, help me. And so she kept retweeting the episode. And mm -hmm. then she emails me, wow, you have such a rabid fan base. And I'm like, yeah, good thing you didn't look that everyone who tweeted has the last name Williams. <laughs> and they're my family. Um, but it's like you need to nudge people because they want to help yeah. you. And you, no one will know that you have a need until you tell them. 
We're, we're all looking for signal, right? Like the way the human brain works is we look for signal and um, there's countless things you could be focused on right now and your brain is trained to ignore the things that are irrelevant to you and focus on the things that are important or going to be relevant or valuable to you. And the way we decide where to put our focus or which communities we want to be a part of or what content we want to read is signal. Are other people doing this? Are other people reading this? Are other people active here? Are they happy to be here? You know, that, that sense of FOMO is a real thing. Like when, when Ryan started Product Hunt, these brunches were so good that I knew if I went to that event, every single person there would be really high quality. There would be people that I um, respected that are working on interesting things that I enjoyed talking to. So when I was invited to another event, it wasn't a question. I wanted to, I wanted to get back there. So uh, to that point, how much, how much is exclusivity a part of this? Because you want to be open, but you also want to potentially handpick the first community members because they're so important. Yeah, um, exclusivity is always an interesting. So in like, there's this thing called the sense of community theory. It was developed about 30 years ago by David McMillan. Um, and uh, it, it essentially breaks down communities for areas, and one of the big ones is barriers to entry, basically, basically saying like there are people who belong and people who don't. Here's the reality. Every single community has barriers to entry. It has people who belong and people who don't. Um, every community has exclusivity to some extent, whether it's – an actual wall that you put up, like you have to be invited or you have to pay, or it's a cultural wall where it says, you know, if you are here, you believe in our values and you're not going to feel very welcome here if you don't believe in our values. So every community eventually, you know, has some sort of exclusivity. What you want to do, what we believe in is diversity and inclusion um, to the extent that it, it should be inclusive and representative of the audience that it's serving, right? So if I were to start a startup community, there's the people who feel like they belong there are the people who are in startups. Um, somebody who is a farmer in Thailand probably won't feel very welcome there. Um, and I don't necessarily want to seek out finding farmers in Thailand to join this community because it's not representative of the larger startup community and audience. But if if my community was predominantly white, that would be a problem to me. And that's where we would focus on diversity and inclusion to make sure that it's open and welcoming and we, we're building a diverse and inclusive community. And so there's always a spectrum of inclusion and exclusion. Um, and you can you can absolutely use exclusion in the beginning in order to create um, uh, value, in order to show cura – it's curation, right? right? It's saying these people and this content is going to be really high quality. You want to be here. And every community to some extent starts with some curation because naturally you're the one choosing who to invite first. And so – is that a requisite? Like, do sometimes people just start communities and then they evolve, and then that high threshold of of people that are associated with comes over time? Because not everyone's going to have connections to, you know, influential people in their field. They have to start, you know, from scratch somewhere. Yeah, listen, we're all starting from scratch. Some of us started a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, 
So yeah, if you're if you're starting a business in a space that you're completely unconnected to, <laughs> and you have no trust and no foundation there, then yeah, you're gonna have a harder time. It's it's gonna be a uphill climb, and chances are you're probably simultaneously trying to build something while building that trust, which is hard. You yeah. know, you know, it's it's like you're trying to take while. You're trying to expect people to give to you while you're simultaneously taking. Whereas like if you can just spend as much time giving as possible way before you ever ask for anything. Like when I started CMX, I had spent the last six years writing about this stuff for free and asking for literally nothing. And then when I launched CMX, it was very easy and people trusted me when I said, hey, I'm doing this because I, this is a real need that we all have. And this is something I, I want to exist. And I want, yes, I will hopefully make money on this so I can survive. But I'm doing this because it's it's real and it's something that we want to solve for you. They didn't, there was no question that I was doing that authentically. Yeah, totally. People can sniff it if you're not being sincere. And it's like you got to build up goodwill. I, I wrote an article a couple years ago about why giving without expecting anything in return is the best business model for life. And I ended up publishing in a medium. You know, this was a couple years ago when medium was a little smaller. A guy who uh, is in my community forwarded it to Adam Grant, who wrote the book mm. Give and Take. Yeah. And then set up a introduction to me and Adam. Then awesome. Adam's like, hey, this lines up with my research. I've proved this out. So I was like, Adam, can you come on my podcast? And I had like six episodes at the time. So he, I had to sell him on it. And yeah. He came on and then cut to two years later, uh, I sent him an advanced copy of my book because I cited his research and he wrote a book blurb for me, you know, without hesitation and without that, you know, trust to your point of like building the relationship over time, then I never would have had that opportunity. And also just putting myself out there, you know, and having this blog post that actually represented myself and lined up with, with his work. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, too. Like, there's many ways to build trust. It doesn't mean you have to sit down for coffee with everybody. I think that's the most effective, but it's also the least scalable. You can also write a lot. Like, writing is another great way to build trust and credibility in a space. Um, I highly recommend making sure your voice is out there and you're sharing what you're learning. And I think being really transparent as you're building things is is really a good tool for building trust and that that's another way to build that foundation and i also have built a lot of trust through cold emails to people where i've said hey i love your work you know i'm doing xyz like i'm writing this book can you be interviewed for it and i was overwhelmed with the amount of people that if if you show people what you're doing and you're taking it seriously and you're dedicated to something bigger that they want to be a part of that the impulse to say yes is actually higher than a lot of people realize yeah, I, I I think I said this once <laughs> um, that the best networking tool is just doing good work because by doing good work, you end up working with good people. Um, um, all right, David Spinks, thank you so much. Where can we find you online? Yeah, so I'm just at David Spinks on Twitter um, and uh, you can find us at cmxhub.com. You find out all about CMX. You can find out about the summit. We host events all over the world. Uh, we publish a ton of content research. Um, a lot of it's all free. 
So uh, yeah, just go poke around if you're in interested in this space. Um, you can join our community on Facebook by searching for CMX Hub. Um, and yeah, we're uh, happy to help if you ever need help with community. And you have a bunch of uh, video resources and courses as well. Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, we have a six-week training program that teaches you how to put together a complete community strategy. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to David Spinks, the master of community. Totally enlightened. And as you could tell from the episode, he recommends you build that community first and then solve problems to help them when then you can build a product that they would like. So uh, yeah, David was an awesome guest. Go to InfluencerEconomy.com to get all the old archives with Brad Feld, uh, Seth Godin, Francesca Ramsey. You know all my guests. And also leave an iTunes review if you are listening on iTunes. That would be awesome. It helps me to get more people to listen to the podcast, getting it trending in Apple. So leave a review, subscribe, and also go to my website, InfluencerEconomy.com for the free uh, three storytelling handbook. Uh, take it easy. Thanks for episode number 117. Mm -hmm.